If we have not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsell. And a few weeks ago, we went to the Holy Land. Uh, many of our church family went with Pastor David and myself. Red bus, blue bus. We were on two buses there and traveled throughout the, the nation, uh, moving from Sea of Galilee uh, through Jerusalem, Bethpage, Bethlehem, all over. We really enjoyed that time together. And our intention was to bring it back to you, that we would go on this journey together as a church family. We've done so uh, not only in this message series, but also by the videos and pictures that you will see and have seen. In fact, what you just saw were videos that we took while we were there. We took a team with us, and they uh, had camera everywhere we went and took some still shots as well as some uh, video footage for you. So you are seeing what we saw really as we saw it. So in a very real way, we are together experiencing what it is to walk with Jesus into the land that he taught uh, loved, gave, died in, and was raised from the dead. And it's a very exciting time for us. So I want to kind of give you an introduction to that. This is actually the fifth week of our series. Now, n- normally, we celebrate uh, much of what we're going to talk about today on Palm Sunday, which is next week. So I'll remind you again, next week is Palm Sunday. But today, we're actually looking at some of the verses in the Bible from the Palm Sunday experience. Why, you might ask? Uh, because it really fits our chronological order that we go through from the beginning it at the Jordan River, moving toward Jerusalem. So we're simply going out of order a little bit to keep ourselves in order in this series. Uh, Some of the things that have happened uh, uh, are, for me, was an adventure to a place called the Dead Sea. While in Jerusalem, we took a day journey there, and I'm going to show you a picture of my Dead Sea experience. There it is. That's me on the right, on my right anyway. And that's my wife, Rhonda, if you're wondering who she is. And yes, she is kissing me. And for some reason, the Dead Sea, people like to swim in the Dead Sea. Now, it's very salty, high salt content, so you can't really swim. You kind of bob like a cork. I've been a number of times. I have never gone in the Dead Sea. I don't want to. They say, why, I don't, why do I want to swim in that? Uh, and, and they love to cover themselves with mud. It's supposed to be therapeutic, you know, and so they do that very popular thing to do. And she had covered herself with mud. She's now covering me with mud. And there's my picture. So I can tell you right now, sometime surprises happen when you visit the Holy Land. Now we can go off of that. I hope so. I said, please go off of that. Okay, there we are. Um, And really, I hope in this series, you are surprised that somewhere in this time, as you look and experience being with us in the Holy Land, you experience God, Christ, faith, and maybe a a deeper way, a broader way, a more full way. We want that for you. That's why we've done it, spent all the energy to do it, and sharing it with you today. We began the first week, uh, some five weeks ago, with going to the Jordan River. There in the Jordan River is where Christ was baptized. At that moment, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God said, This is my Son. And then we have the Spirit filling him, and then it begins. Then Jesus went to the Mount of Temptation. He faced the devil. Forty days he's there fasting. Facing the devil, he overcomes the temptations, and there he, he, uh, he begins to move back into the world once again. The first thing he does when he gets back in the world is, back to Galilee, is he heals people. He heals the sick and the, the paralyzed, the blind, the deaf, casts out demons. The first thing he does, then he calls his disciples. Calls his disciples from that place. Then he goes, to Beth, he goes to the Mount of Beatitudes around the Sea of Galilee, and he teaches about the kingdom of God, the Lord's Prayer. The Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, things like that. Seek God, don't worry. The words of God for the people in the world. 
And then he, uh, then he goes in the Sea of Galilee. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor David share that message. He did a great job sharing that with you. And there we have the walking on the water, the calming of the storm, the miracles there in that beautiful Sea of Galilee. We spent some time there and enjoyed doing that. And now, for the first time, five weeks, we're going to go into Jerusalem. And that's what's happening today. We're going to enter the city of Jerusalem together. As we do this entering, I'm going to read some scripture Then we're going to look at a video that shows you some of the sites that we saw there, the holy places. I'm going to to read Matthew 21, verse 1 through 10. Again, a Palm Sunday text a week early, because that's the order that we're going in. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, right outside of Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there in a colt with her, Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he'd entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, Who is this? Who is this? I'll show you some of the footage of Jerusalem as we entered the city. We began with the Mount of Olives. We begin with the Mount of Olives. There it is. Uh, You'll see the olive trees there, probably close to where the Garden of Gethsemane is, the Mount of Olives. Beyond that, you'll discover just thousands and thousands of of tombs. Uh, Jews, as well as Christians, believe in the resurrection, and they have those tombs there. Resurrection is supposed to happen facing Jerusalem, so they're there for that purpose. Be the first to see and experience the resurrection is why they're buried there for um, hundreds of years. They've been there. We enjoyed seeing that part of it. Uh, when Jesus, during Jesus' time, that would have all been olive trees. Today it's olive trees and those tombs. There's Jerusalem. See the, the city, and this is a good picture of the uh, old city of Jerusalem. There's also modern part of Jerusalem. This is the old place that we spent most of our time where the holy sites are. Some folks there doing that journey, uh, going down uh, toward what we, what, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, also in the Mount of Olives. And there's that journey, that road, part of that. And you can see part of Jerusalem there in the background. This is what's called the Lion's Gate. This is, this is the area where Jesus would have entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, the verses I just read. Uh, and and there, there is where the Temple Mount or Temple would have been. Now all that's left is what's called the Western Wall. Uh, the rest was torn down by Romans almost 2,000 years ago. But the wall's still there. Jesus, Jesus would have seen that wall, walked by that wall. He would have recognized that as the wall outside of the Temple Mount. People go there to pray all the time today. We pray there. People often put, often put prayer requests there in the cracks in that Western Wall many years ago called the Wailing Wall. So you might recognize that, and that's the wall that Jesus could very well have touched. He would have seen and walked past. There we see uh, the Temple Mount area once again. Uh, there's there's a, actually a mosque there today. Uh, and those are what's called the teaching steps, where those people are. Those steps are original. Jesus would have taught on those steps. He would have stood on those steps. Those who came to him would have experienced healing of miracles 
on those steps right where we sat, walked and shared. There's one of our team walking down. She was part of our camera crew who was with us. So you see that. And we, we want you to see this location, these places, this holy site where Jesus was and we experienced and how special that is. Now, I want to ask you this. What did Jesus do when he entered Jerusalem? We know what the people did. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us right now. We hope you're the Messiah. Maybe you're the one going to rescue us from the Romans. That's what they were doing. And some hoping for a miracle, a healing, some blessing in life. They certainly looked for someone like Jesus to give that to them. But what did Jesus do? Here's what he did. We absolutely know he healed the sick, Uh, whether it be uh, the blind or the deaf or the crippled. He did that everywhere he went. One, two, three, ten, he always did that. So we know that's one thing he did. We know he taught, there in those teaching steps, about the kingdom of God. Love God, love neighbor, blessed are the merciful. Seek God's kingdom first. Do not worry, trust God. And this is the things that he taught wherever he went. He had very consistent teaching, Jesus did. We know he taught here on these steps. He ran money changes out of the temple. They might have been on the teaching steps, but more likely they were along a side where the Wailing Wall was or the Western Wall was, where right between that uh, and the inner part of the temple, uh, there would have been a, a long corridor where there'd be shops. And these shops, they would sell animals there. There'd be money changes to exchange money there. And the reason why was folks during this season had come for Passover from all around the world. It would have been crowded, crowded with people who were pilgrims coming to make sacrifices uh, for whatever reason. There would also be Roman soldiers everywhere who had come to keep the peace in a very kind of uh, chaotic time uh, in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been boiling over with people. You couldn't hardly find a place to step where people would not be. And there would be people there selling animals for sacrifice. If you traveled a long way, you might not be able to carry the animal with you, so you would buy it when you got there. Also, the animal to be sacrificed had to be without blemish. Often, if you brought one, it would be rejected and make you buy one there. They would, of course, be just fine. So it was kind of a financial ramification for those selling the animals. You couldn't use your own money. You had to use temple money because your money was Roman money, and that money would have had often an image on it, so it was rejected. So you had to take your Roman money and exchange it for temple money, uh, typically at a rate that was good for the one making the exchange, not the person, the pilgrim. Uh, So it was a den of thieves, Jesus said. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. My father's house is a house of prayer. You made it a den of thieves. And so he does that as well. So So get clearly what Jesus does. It's important for the rest of the message. He shared Passover later on in the week with with his disciples. Twelve gathered including Judas, including, including Judas who betrayed him, uh, Peter uh, who denied him, Philip who questioned him, Thomas who doubted him. He shared the Passover with all of them and washed all their feet, including Judas's feet. It's an important part of that story. Uh, he would also face the religious leaders who would oppose him, Caiaphas the high priest, the Sanhedrin, their supreme court, the religious world that they lived in, all of them. He faced Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the province that Judea was in. He would also face King Herod, the king of the Jews there uh, in that part of Israel. So he faced it all. There's nothing he did not do. And so we get a picture of this happening 
who he's facing, what he's doing, to know and answer this question. What, what would God do if he stepped into the world? Because we believe that Jesus is God. That was proclaimed when he was baptized. The miracles affirm that he is God. The resurrection would prove that he is God. What would God do when he enters Jerusalem coming down the Mount of Olives through the lion's gate that you saw on end to where the Temple Mount is, the teaching steps are, uh, and uh, the heirs and the money changes were? What would God do? Well, he would heal the hurting and broken because that's what God does. He would teach the truth. That's what God does. He would confront the wrong and the evil, which he does. He would redeem the loss, which is why he came. I've come to save the world from its sins. And so God did, and so God is doing, and still does, because God is still in the world in a very powerful, real way in the life of his church and those who turn their hearts to him. And his church through his spirit, and his followers. Three things to point out as we continue that theme. God steps into the world, who and what and why, then and now. The first thing is, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered as the presence of God. So there we experience and see there is God's presence. How do we understand the presence in more than just seeing, but experiencing God among us. It's the same thing. Healing, truth, confronting wrong, redeeming the lost, loving us. He entered Jerusalem as the grace of God. He would die for the sins of the world. He gave to people who didn't deserve those gifts. He offered himself to those who rejected that offering. Uh, He shared Passover and offered the washing of the feet of his followers there, even the one who betrayed him, as well as the one who denied him, as well as the one who questioned him, Philip, as well as the one who doubted him, Thomas. We see the grace of God. I love that. I need that. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem as the holiness of God. We see the grand holy nature, what, that, what holiness really looks like in this God who does these things in the world, in healing and confronting evil, and teaching, and turning the money changers' tables upside down, knowing it might cost him his life. It's important that because we see God's revelation of himself in this Jerusalem, and that's why it's holy. That's why it's so sacred and special. That's why we, we find ourselves such a holy place. Neil Armstrong, who was the first man on the moon, said, I thought it was a big deal to step on, I'm paraphrasing what he said, A big deal to step on the moon, but nothing like stepping on the cobblestones around the city of Jerusalem as he experienced God's presence there. So hear that as we seek now to make application to our own experience, our own lives. Now, I would hope that in your experience, you would let God share his presence with you. Receive his grace brand new. You would touch his holiness And in that, fall on your knees and accept the salvation he gives you in response to that. What is happening for all of us in this series, in this service of worship and prayer, what we're about today by walking into a church? There's more than that. 
When I was a young pastor, very young and had little kids, I served a church and loved serving that church for many reasons. Church ran about 110, 120 people in worship. It grew to that while I was there, and we enjoyed that time and that place. Still remember that fondly in many, many ways. What's, un- what's unusual about the church was, while we were there in that very traditional church, the choir grew to about 28 people. Uh, if, the choir, if our choir here was that big in proportion to our numbers, our choir would have more than 500 people in it. It would be a pretty big choir. Uh, but so it gives you an idea how big it was. That choir would share its music around other churches. We'd be invited to go sing places. I sang in the choir in the bass section, just helping out with the men's section back there. Enjoyed doing that. In the years that I was there, there are three memories that I have. There are others, but there are three that I, I've never forgotten. Uh, these memories relate to uh, really, actually, uh, maybe in my ministry, the time my heart was broken the most. Sometimes when you serve people, your heart can be broken, right? Families are like that, right? Relationships are like that. Friendships can be like that. Uh, we always take a risk in those type of things. And there are three things that happen. One was there was a, was a, there was a young mother uh, who started coming to church. And I did her wedding, married her to her husband. She already had a five-year-old little girl. Her little girl's name was Whiskey. Uh, that little girl today would be probably, would be probably a little past 40 years old. Uh, and Whiskey doesn't go by that name anymore, but she did in those years. And her mother said, you know, when she was born, my only friend I had in the world was Whiskey. And that's why I named my daughter Whiskey. So it tells you about her life. And she started, and I did the wedding. She started coming to church with her husband, started singing the choir. You know, she was being touched by the, the presence and, and grace and holiness of God, right? That's what's happening. And so as a young pastor, I'm just thrilled by that. That's why I'm here. This is great. I'm having, I can't believe that this is happening. And I see God working in her life, you know, and, and, and so I, I love that moment when she was there. Another mother in the choir as well, and she was an older mother. Uh, they'd waited for years to have a child, and so they were older even then, and, and they, their child was now a teenager. And they had this one boy who was just tremendous problems. Uh, they'd hoped and yearned and waited for a child when he finally came. Uh, they had great difficulty with him. He, he was continually threatening, threatening suicide. Uh, anxious, uh, had pro- I could go on with that for a long time, but, but she started coming to church too, her and her husband. Uh, we went to the house one time for dinner with the family, and uh, we tried to help with the son. Hours and hours I spent with them and this, and this young man, and she started singing the choir too. Uh, and, you know, the choir was growing now, and again, it's, again, I can't tell you how amazing it is to have a church that size uh, in a small town in Texas with that many people in the choir, and that was a tremendous thing. And I loved her coming to that, that, that choir. There was another young woman who came, and she didn't come very long. Uh, she was young, even younger than I was, and I was still in my 20s. Uh, she was living with someone she wasn't married to. Uh, in that very small town, everybody knew it. Everybody knew him. He'd been born and raised there. She had moved there because she fell in love with him. And they were living in a small trailer about maybe two or three blocks from the church. And she came and started singing in the choir. Beautiful voice. Uh, they were still figuring out what their life was going to look like and be like. And over a period of time, this is where the broken heart part comes from, uh, the choir, some choir members, just a few, drove those three people out of the choir. It didn't fit, didn't welcome them, didn't know what to do with them, said things about them. Maybe they couldn't sing quite as well as they could. It doesn't matter really what it was, but I watched that happen over a period of time, and I couldn't do anything about it. 
Tried my best. I couldn't stop it. I could see it happening. And I knew it was going on, and I, I couldn't do anything about it. And all I thought was they, they needed Jesus so much, you know, and, and I saw that taking place. You know. Now, I want you to take that story, which is very true and very real to me, and go back to, to Jesus entering Jerusalem. You know, I, I think about him in that time, and, and I think about would it have been so easy for him to stay and lead and serve his synagogue back in Capernaum, where he spent most of his early years. He was born in Nazareth, but he probably grew up in Capernaum. And that's the synagogue there where he introduced himself to the world. They loved him there. He could have stayed there. Just taught the law, lived out the life of a rabbi, uh, got married and had a family, lived to be an old man, well-respected, well-loved, well-appreciated. And they would talk so often about, oh, Jesus is our rabbi, and we really appreciate him. He's the best rabbi there is, you know. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, uh, but maybe he could have done that. But no, he didn't do that. I'll show you a picture now of Jerusalem. He left the synagogue, and Jerusalem became his church, at least for that week. This was the place. And, and this was where he served and loved and gave his life to God, in this place. You know, and I'm sure there were a lot of, lot of people there who, who figuratively had a child named Whiskey. So there are many people out there who maybe had a son they were struggling with. And again, figuratively, maybe figuratively weren't living quite the way that the Jewish law or the church would think they're supposed to live. They were probably all out there. And you know what? Jesus didn't care. <laughs> didn't matter to him at all. Didn't even ask. He just healed them. Woman at the well, didn't matter. Woman caught in adultery, didn't matter. Uh, blind Bartimaeus, didn't matter. Zacchaeus, tax collector in a tree, didn't matter. He just served them all, loved them all. And God's presence and God's grace and God's holiness came to them indiscriminately. And they received he built his life not around the synagogue, but around the poor, the broken, and hurting people of his world. And he healed them, blessed them, faced evil for them, and died for the sins of the world. You know that. And we see this, the truth in this story. And he built his life around that city I showed you a picture of a moment ago. That was really his church. God's presence, God's grace, God's holiness. Those sites are amazing. I'm always in awe when I go. The teaching test may be my favorite place to, to be there and sit there and think Jesus taught right here. Think about those words that he taught. And here we are, this very same place, seeing the very same scenery and the very same city. And it's so remarkable, that, that western wall that I know Jesus walked past. We see where he cast the money changers out. That's still the original uh, base, uh, marble floor uh, our walkway, or limestone walkway that he would w- have walked on. So, we, you know, that's amazing to me. But, you know, for Jesus, it wasn't about Jerusalem. It was about the people. It's always about all those pe- people who were there. He said, how oft I would have you come to me and you would not. He would say, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. God's presence, God's grace. God's holiness. Well, think with me how we make application of all this. Personally, it's very simple. 
We say, God, give me your grace. I want your presence in my life. You know, God, forgive me of my sins. God, bless me. I need healing. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Uh, wherever we are in our life, you know, but we, we really don't understand until we see the world the way Jesus saw the world and interacted with the world in, a very, uh, in the way that he did. So we're going to try to do that. Our church has always been known for that, I believe. We continue to try to think of the world in that way. It's not easy to do. It's difficult to do. I think those folks in that choir had no idea what they were doing. They didn't realize it when they made comments about someone not being able to sing the note just right. Or they didn't know that when they didn't welcome someone who really was hurting, that they weren't aware maybe how much the mother with the son who had so many issues was hurting. Maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they just didn't think about the young, the young woman who was living with this, this fella, uh, that she was really searching for God. I was hoping she'd find God in this little church in the middle of this little town, this little middle, little part of Texas. You know, they didn't see that. They, they didn't think about it. They didn't notice it, you know, but Jesus always did. It's like he knows where you are in your life right now, and he knows where I am right now. So that's why we love him, because we know that he loves us. How do we do that? How do we make it work? You know, one of the things that we're doing this year, and you know it well, I'm sure, if you're a member of our church, if you're not, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, we're planning for Easter in a very unusual location. Uh, we have a great church sanctuary here we love, and I love it. I was a big part of making sure that it was built here and expanded as well. We're having Easter at the, performing, at the Mansfield ISD Center for the, Center for the Performing Arts. Uh, not very far from here on Debbie Lane. It's about 5,000 people. It's very big. It has a parking lot that has, I think, about a couple thousand cars can park there. So plenty of room for everybody. But that's not why we're doing it, though. We're doing it because we want to be faithful to what Jesus teaches us to do. He built his life not around the synagogue, but around Jerusalem, around Galilee, around Bethpage and Jericho, the Jericho Road. That's where he did. We want to build our church around our community. Uh, like he did. And so we're thinking about how can we make our church, at least for that one special Easter weekend that even unbelievers really celebrate. They, everybody, who doesn't like Easter? <laughs> and everybody hopes it's real, even if they don't believe it. They hope it is that Christ is raised from the dead. Maybe it is, they might think. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. So we're doing church for that reason, just like that. Uh, we're thinking like we hope Jesus thought, or we believe that Jesus thought, by building our life in that way, integrated, in, integrated with what's going on in this campus here. So here's, what we're, here's what's happening Easter, two and a half, well, three weeks, but two Sundays from now. Uh, we're going to have uh, Easter services there at 9 o'clock, not 9.30, but 9 o'clock. Uh, so if you normally come around this time, think 9 o'clock. Pastor David will be preaching that service on Easter. Then 11 o'clock. I'll be preaching that service both at the Performing Arts Center. We're having church there also Saturday night. We didn't do that last year, but this year we are. Saturday at 6, David will preach that service. I'll be preaching a service here at 8.15. We are going to have one sanctuary service that morning at 8.15. We're thinking for some folks it's difficult to get in and out there. We want to make sure they have a place they can worship. Uh, And so we're having that there. And also Sunday in the chapel at 5. So we're having lots of services all around the theme I'm sharing with you in the message right now, why we're doing it this way, what we're thinking about, praying about, why we've got a Mansfield Now uh, ad, why we're going to send out cards probably this next week to 30,000 folks in our area, why we're advertising in other ways as well, and we want you to help us do that. Certainly, we want you to bring somebody with us. I want you to think about Easter that way, the way that Jesus thought about Jerusalem, the way that Jesus experienced Jerusalem. 
Uh, can you do that with me? And, and think what that would look like for you and me. If you decide you want to come to church here in your sanctuary at 815, many might do that because we love our church and it's a, it's a blessing to be here. And I, I'm going to preach that service. I'm looking forward to it myself, uh, sharing in the 815 service. Uh, but maybe you might think about, well, I want to go back at 11 o'clock too or 9 o'clock because I want to go, I want to go to, uh, I, want to, I want to see the whiskey's mom who's going to be there. Not literally, but someone like her. You know, I, I want to be the one to say, I'm glad you're here. You know, uh, I want to see the, uh, uh, this other mother who's got the, and, and dad who's, whose son, their one son they hoped for and yearned for and prayed for for so many years finally came and he has so many problems and they're, they're broken by that. Maybe you'll see her, you know, in the parking lot, pull up next to you. Maybe, that's what, maybe that'll happen. Maybe you'll see the, uh, the 20-something who's living with someone who's still trying to struggle with life and taking a risk with that relationship and who knows what's going to happen. But they, but they want to know, is there a God? You know, is there a resurrection? Is, is, is there a church that cares about me in whatever state I'm in my life? And you can multiply that list with your own list. You know who they are. You might have been there somewhere and probably were, as I was. We find that place. We begin. So that's what this Jesus story, Easter story, really means. Uh, and that's why we celebrate it. It's we mark it that way, building ourselves around the Easter story. This is just one thing that we do. We do many other things as well. You know that. But, but this is a very real big thing for our church. And so it's looking at the whole story differently through the eyes of Christ as well as the Christ who sees into our hearts and his grace and his presence, you know, and, and his holiness that touches us every day. Not long after the resurrection, this very same city, uh, something was going to happen. He would be crucified and resurrected, and then Pentecost would happen. On Pentecost, the church would gather and they would pray for a long time, and God's spirit would fill them. And they would boil over into the streets of Jerusalem like Jesus did. They'd move out of the synagogue, move out of the upper room, and they'd be on the streets all around the same place Jesus was. The biggest holiday might have been for them Passover. Next biggest holiday was Pentecost. It was crowded once again. It wasn't Jesus now, it was his followers. 120 and then 3,000. And they would share with their world as Jesus said they would, beginning in Jerusalem and then Judea, that's what Jesus said, Samaria, and we can add our area because the story continues today. Jesus said, come unto me, all you labor, labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Will you pray with me, please? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the words you give us and for your Son, Jesus Christ, your presence, your grace, and your holiness in Jerusalem and here. Maybe so, God, all around us. That's our prayer. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.